Welcome to The Change Lab, a podcast for people who are all about personal development, leaning into their potential and becoming their best self. Just, you know, starting next Monday. I'm your host, Dr. Sasha Hines, and oh, sh- it's Monday. All right, happy Monday and welcome back to the lab. So I am super amped because I just had this very cool experience with my daughter. She is starting to play ice hockey. I am a ice hockey, adult ice hockey fanatic. I used to play as a kid. I got back into it. A friend convinced me to get back into it a couple of years ago. And it is one of the best things in my life. <laughs> it's so much fun being on a team, hanging on the locker room. It's just the most fun, you know, sitting on the bench when you're sitting and watching everyone play on your team on like the other lines are out and you're just getting excited and yelling and cheering them on. It's just the most fun thing in the world. So I don't know. It's this cool... I put on my hockey gear, my pads and my helmet, and I get to be my alter ego. It's, uh, you know, Beyonce's Sasha Fierce. Well, it's my Beyonce Fierce. <laughs> So I don't know. It's the most fun thing. Anyhow, my daughter just started playing. She was not that excited about hockey and I didn't really push her to play. And then this year she said she wanted to play. So I was pretty excited that she wanted to try. So she's only been playing for maybe six weeks and um, had her first tournament this weekend and was totally scared. So she gets in the car, we're driving to the rink and I can just, you know, she's just starting to panic and just starting to feel so nervous. And, uh, she has coined this term. I don't know, maybe she heard it somewhere, but anyway, it was new for me called nerve sighted. So when she's doing something new, she'll say, I'm nerve sighted. It's like, you know, nervous and excited all mixed together. And I totally understand that emotion. I would say the change lab has been (laughs) primarily feeling nerve sighted about this podcast. But anyhow, so we're in the car and we're heading to the rink and she's like, I don't want to play. This is a terrible idea. And it's just, you know, she's just nervous and panicking and apprehensive about her first game, her first game ever and what that's going to feel like. And will she be good enough? And will she be embarrassed? And will she get knocked around? And does she even know what position she's playing and where to go on the rank? And all of this stuff is coming up. You know, I'm just sitting with her like, okay, well, let's just give it a try. No pressure. Anyway, she shows up, plays the first game and then plays the next two games And at the end of the tournament, she was so pumped up and went from feeling nauseated, right? That just so sick to your stomach, so nervous, so apprehensive to going out there with her team, playing, having such a fun time. I could see her cheering her teammates on. So cute. And then finishes the day and just feels so stoked. And uh, I was just thinking about for as adults, how rarely we put ourselves in situations where we feel like that, where we are so nervous and apprehensive, like, I don't know that I can do this. What if I fail? What if I fall on my face? What if I can't do this, you know, and I look like a goofball or whatever it is that we're nervous about? And, or, you know, like, what if I'm the weak uh, link on the team and that feels so scary? All of that stuff. As adults, how rarely we, are willing to put ourselves in situations like that. And kids do it all the time. 
and just watching this instant boost of competence and confidence and sense of self. And, you know, it's like expanded her world of what she thinks is possible for herself. And uh, it was just watching that happen over the course of the day was so exciting. So, you know, think about that for you. Do you have stuff in your life where you feel nerve-sided? And if you don't, why not? Why not? What's holding you back from having that lovely, nauseated feeling of, oh my God, what am I doing? (laughs) What am I doing? This could go terribly wrong, but it also could expand my world and make my life more interesting and at the very least be a funny story later. So anyway, yay girls hockey. I love watching fierce women on the ice. It just makes me so happy. All right. Anyway, back to the episode. So your lab work last week was to make a list of some of the current issues in your life where your elephant and your rider are disagreeing and to make note of who was currently getting their way most of the time. Is your elephant or your rider getting getting their way? I mean, my daughter's example, what was happening in the car? Her elephant and her rider were just arguing. There was a disagreement between her elephant, which was like, absolutely not. This is a terrible idea. Do not do this. And her rider, which is like, well, I committed to this. This is my team. I need to show up, right? I said I would do it. And she was having this debate in the car. And then of course she had me in the car, which is, I think, part of what adults don't have enough of is the the external rider, the bigger external rider is saying, you got this and can help to soothe the elephant and hold the elephant's hand as the elephant goes and does something very scary. So anyway, where in your life are your elephant and your rider disagreeing and who's winning? And then part two was if you discovered an area in your life in which your elephant is overpowering the rider, the advanced lab work was to look at some of the rationalizations that your rider uses to justify your elephant's behavior. So today we're going to talk about how we rationalize and um, break down some of the most common rationalization themes I hear my clients, my friends, you know, my family, and uh, this lady right here use to justify prioritizing protection over growth, how we rationalize our nonsense. And it doesn't matter whether you're stuck or leaning into your growth edge, you will have nonsense. So we don't ever not have nonsense, (laughs) right? So, and by nonsense, what I mean is this inner tension, the friction between the part of you that wants to grow, improve, and stretch toward the highest version of yourself and the part that would prefer to fantasize about being your best self while actively blowing off and half-assing the daily actions required to make progress toward that ideal. So this tension between these two opposing forces. And as we become more skillful self-changers, the goal is that our nonsense gets progressively less unmanageable, less life and relationship destroying, and less cataclysmic because we're getting better at building a bridge from where we are now to where we want to be from stuck to unstuck, from helpless to authoritative, from passivity to agency. No one has a life without inner nonsense, but we want to create a life with increasingly better nonsense. Struggling to overcome a soul-destroying addiction is horrific nonsense. 
struggling to consistently carve out time to exercise in a full, gratifying life is much better nonsense. Trust me, I've had both. (laughs) And trying to figure out how to consistently maintain my fitness as a mom of a teen and tween who both play travel sports, a wife of a man who still wants to hang out with me after almost 22 years of hanging out with me, and as a psychologist and coach who has the career she dreamed of having at 23 is some damn good nonsense. I'll take it. (laughs) I'll take my nonsense, right? The inner friction I have now were my biggest dreams at 23. Seriously. The stuff I struggle with now, my nonsense, is the stuff that I dreamed of having when I was 23. I dreamed of these problems. This is what I wanted. So the more big N and little N nonsense you overcome, the less your new nonsense overwhelms you. This is the name of the game. Life is still challenging, right? I mean, life is supposed to be challenging, but you get better at dealing with the challenges. I mean, think about the changes you've made that at one point felt utterly impossible and are now your ho-hum, no big deal normal. With each impossible growth goal you've accomplished, the boundaries marking the limit of what you think is possible for you have expanded. And each step toward growth gives you a bigger and broader imagination for what your future might hold in store. Growth fuels growth, but it takes a whole lot of courage to grow into the future instead of continuing to recycle your past. That's what I watched my daughter do. She, with so much courage, she grew into her future instead of recycling her past, which would be, I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. I don't want to do this. And then she wouldn't develop the skill to be able to do it. There would be no growth. It was so exciting. Here's the thing. Human beings are very good very good at forecasting a future that scares us into paralysis. But we are very bad at forecasting a future that emboldens us to take brave steps forward with joyful anticipation. And because of this, protecting and defending the familiar by staying stuck, even if the familiar is shite, almost always seems like the better call to our elephant in the moment. Almost always. Right from a distance, Growth looks like a high-end aspirational luxury good that you desperately want, right? It's so shiny, it's so pretty, so gorgeous. (laughs) But the closer you get, your nearsighted elephant starts to see the price tag more clearly. And up close, your elephant can see that having this luxury good, a fit body, early morning energy, a finished podcast episode, an honest and intimate relationship, you know, deep trust in yourself, is expensive. And you must pay up front with your energy, effort, and emotional discomfort. It's tough. Your life is a never-ending gobstopper of growth opportunities. Never-ending. The alarm goes off. Do I hit snooze or wake up and get in the shower? My kid walks into the kitchen in the morning. Do I connect with love and humor or take their grumpiness personally? I look at my schedule. Do I generate gratitude at my full life or resentment at all the onerous tasks I need to take care of? I pick up my phone. Do I just check social media for a quick sec or put it down and stay on task? I go to the coffee shop. Do I get a cappuccino or a cappuccino and that pastry I said I wouldn't order? 
And that we have countless opportunities to walk a new path every day is awesome because we blow off and ignore most of them. (laughs) That's what we do. So let's dig into how our writer defends, excuses, and explains away our elephant's decision to choose momentary relief and instant gratification over a long-term goal. How does the elephant rationalize choosing what it wants now over what it wants most? Or perhaps what the rider wants most, right? So let's classify some of these rider rationales. So here are 12 perennial favorites, the ones that I hear, you know, my clients and myself and other people use most frequently and see if you can identify some of the ones that you tend to indulge in. All right, the loophole rationale. This loophole rationale is for the opportunists. We use this rationale anytime we can justify saying yes to our elephant's whims because, well, we never get to have it. So come on, you only live once. (laughs) The lie, however, is that most of the time we use this rationale, it's not that rare of an occasion. Those once in a blue moon treats seem to pop up pretty frequently. It sounds like this. I know I made a commitment to not drink at client dinners, but they ordered a very fancy bottle of red wine that I probably won't have the chance to try again. So how could I say no to this rare treat? I know I wasn't going to spend any more money on new gear, but these are on sale and almost out of stock and I won't get an opportunity like this again. We use the loophole rationale when we want to make last minute decisions that undermine our rider's good intentions. But you know, it's okay because it happens so infrequently. It's a defense against constraining limits and rigid rules, right? The rules don't count because it's a special case. The whatever rationale. So this rationale is like a teenager who's trying to convince you that she doesn't care about something, even though you know she really does care. It sounds like this. Whatever, it doesn't matter. I don't really care. It's not that big a deal, even though it really is a big deal. We often use the whatever rationale when we're giving up on a goal or a dream that we're afraid isn't going to go our way. We don't think it's going to succeed. We think we're going to fail. We think we're not going to be good enough. And then we just defeat ourselves in advance. This is a defense against dashed hope and failure. Because, you know, if you pretend not to care, it won't hurt as much if it doesn't work out, which is, of course, not true. The genetic lottery loser rationale This is a very passive rationale. Why bother developing yourself? Because you can't change the laws of nature. You got the flaky, overweight, bad with money, worry wart, or Rumpelstiltskin gene, and there's not a thing you can do about it because, well, you know, you were just born that way. It sounds like this. I come from a long line of hot-tempered women. Raging is just a part of who I am. Everyone in my family struggles with their weight, so I'm going to struggle with my weight. We often use the genetic lottery loser when we have a long-standing habit, behavior, or relational style we don't really want to have to change because we're afraid we might not be able to change it. And if we can, it will require a lot of effort, right? It's a defense against independence and responsibility. Don't blame me, blame my crappy genes. The tomorrow is better rationale. This rationale is a procrastinator's bestie. The idea here is that somehow the dreaded or inconvenient task will be easier in the future. So in the moment, me, my elephant doesn't feel like doing it, but my rider is suggesting that tomorrow me will be all over it. Don't worry, we'll do it tomorrow. The tomorrow you will be so excited about this. It sounds like this. 
I'm just not in the right headspace to work on this presentation. I'll wake up early tomorrow and tackle it with a fresh perspective. I got, I started using this one, I mean, in middle school, (laughs) in sixth grade. Okay. Or maybe I shouldn't bring up this work issue with my boss today. She seems a little stressed. So, you know, I'll just bring it up tomorrow. The tomorrow's better rationale is a defense against anxiety and fear. The injured party rationale. My kids really love this one. With the injured party rationale, nothing is your fault or your responsibility because they, in air quotes, they made you do it. When my kids use it, this is kind of what it sounds like, but I had to hit my brother because he stuck his tongue out at me, right? Like, okay, that, that makes sense, right? But when adults use it, it sounds more like this. I had no choice but to be a snappy jerk because my son didn't clean out the car like I asked. Or my husband wanted to eat out again, so I couldn't stand my food plan this week. We often use the injured party rationale when we don't want to take ownership of the choice we made or the choice we're making. It's a defense against self-recrimination. Don't blame me. It's not my fault. I had no choice. They made me do it. The historic precedent rationale. When we use this rationale, we become a very sad sack history professor who is always basing future predictions on his vast, comprehensive, and infallible knowledge of the past. It sounds like this. He's never listened in the past, so he won't listen now. Or, I sent out three pitches and I never heard back, so pitching doesn't work. Or, I've already gone on so many dates, so trust me, there are no good men out there. We often use the historic precedent rationale when we've lost confidence in ourselves or in a particular process. It's a defense against vulnerability and disappointment. Right? It's too painful to try again and be disappointed again. So let's just decide it's not possible. The lemming rationale. The lemming rationale finds safety in numbers. The constant refrain of this justification is, but everyone else is doing it. It sounds like this. It's okay that I bitch about my husband because so do my girlfriends. Or it's cool that I'm phoning it in at work. So are my coworkers. We often use the lemming rationale when we want to justify knowingly crappy behavior to ourselves and likely everyone else, right? This is one that we definitely use with other people. So it's a good one to pay attention to. It's a defense against judgment, self-judgment and other people's judgment. The Bruce Hornsby rationale. Remember Bruce Hornsby's popular song, The Way It Is? That's just the way it is. Some things will never change. It was later covered by Tupac and... I am so sorry it's going to be stuck in your head because it has been stuck in mine. (laughs) It has been stuck in my head too. Anyhow, this rationale is your inner Bruce. He's defeated and giving up the fight because, you know, there's nothing to be done. You can't have the thing in your life you want because your childhood, the patriarchy, your husband's drinking problem, your weight, or the demands of your children's schedule. It sounds like this. My husband has a drinking problem, but won't acknowledge it. So there's nothing I can do. I have to run around like a chicken with my head cut off over the holidays. That's just the way it is. We often use the Bruce Hornsby rationale to avoid having to make a hard decision about our life. we, We don't want to make the hard decision. We're pissed that someone perhaps may require us to make the decision that they're not doing it. It allows us to pretend that there's no choice or decision before us. There is no choice. There's just martyrdom. And by not initiating a hard decision and becoming the victim of our circumstances, we don't have to feel responsible for the potential consequences of that decision. 
The powerlessness of the Bruce Hornsby rationale is a defense against the responsibility of self-leadership. The driverless Uber rationale. This is another very passive justification. You're not in control. The car is just driving you around. Life is just happening to you. So, you know, what can you do? It sounds like this. I didn't mean to get sucked into three hours of TV, but HBO Max has autoplay. And once the next episode starts, it just sucks me in. Or I don't know where the time goes. Instagram's algorithm pulled me in against my will. We often use the driverless Uber rationale when we don't want to own our part in our behavior. The I've already tried everything rationale. It is quite annoying to be on the receiving end of the I've already tried everything rationale. This lovely little excuse lets you off the hook because you've done everything you could and exhausted all the possible avenues to solve the problem. It sounds like this. Trust me, I've tried everything and I still can't lose weight or find a fulfilling job or get more clients. I mean, there's nothing more I can do. So, you know, hand me the remote and while you're at it, pass the chips and guac. We often use the I've already tried everything rationale as a deflection from addressing the most important and obvious issue, the biggest issue. We've done everything around it, but not address the big issue in front of us. It's a defense against vulnerability that comes with facing the truth. The tit-for-tat rationale. This is a very self-righteous rationale. It's not fair, is its mantra. It sounds like this. You didn't want to do what I want, so why should I do what you want? Or if he's going to be a jerk, then I get to be a jerk. Or he doesn't care about looking good for me, so why should I care about looking good for him? Or I can't let the grievance go because she won't let the grievance go. (laughs) That's such a beautiful one. We use the tit for tat rationale when we want to haul pass from adulthood. You're entitled to behave like a child because they're behaving like a child. It's a defense against unfairness. And finally, the effort rationale. This rationale bolsters the voice of that inner frenemy or siren who likes to convince you that blowing off your plan just this once won't matter. This inner voice can seem like a rebellious best friend, but she's a big dream stealer. It sounds like this. You're too hard on yourself. You don't really need to get up now to write your 500 words before the kids wake up. Hit snooze and get a little extra sleep. You know you need it. Or missing one workout won't matter. Or you know you want another snack. It's just this once. No one's watching. We use the effort rationale when we want to justify prioritizing immediate pleasure or immediate relief over a long-term benefit or goal. Right? It's a, it's a defense against feeling restricted or controlled. So there we have it. These are our 12 rider rationales. And by no means is this an exhaustive list. But I imagine that you will recognize some of these tattered and beloved justifications because I, I certainly do, right? Ugh, tit for tat used to be one of my faves. I hate admitting that, but it's true. It's very mature. <laughs> well, you did this so I can do this. It's just so childish. Okay, effort is another one I like to cuddle up with. Ugh big time. And I also indulge in the injured party rationale on occasion, which is so yakadoo Currently, I would say I'm probably most guilty of the driverless Uber rationale, <laughs> especially at night. I mean, but where, where does the time go? HBO Max with that autoplay. It's 
that's a problem. When you start to pay attention to how much you use these rationales, you will realize that we spend so much time and energy putting our rider to work as our elephant's PR agent, spinning an excuse into a reasonable explanation. So what's your rider up to? Is your rider spending more time working with your elephant to problem solve emotional resistance and logistical obstacles? Or is your rider working overtime on PR spin and reputational management? So your lab work this week is to look at your rider's rationales and identify which of the 12 rationalizations you tend to work with. And I'm very excited for next week's episode because we are going to look at the real life rider rationales of one of your fellow Change Lab listeners and explore how our rationales can help us understand and overcome our nonsense. So have an amazing week. And as always, put the own up in grown up. For more dirt on today's topic, make sure to visit the episode show notes at drsashahines.com. Or if you have any specific questions, you can shoot me an email at hello at thechangelabpodcast.com or find me on Instagram at drsashahines. If you're enjoying The Change Lab, there are three things you can do about it. Subscribe and leave me a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Share the show with a friend or five. Or head over to drsashahines.com to check out the ways you can work with me and dive deeper into this work. And if you're feeling wild, maybe do all three. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next Monday.